Welcome to the Pastor's Cut. This week we're on with Dan Osborne, pastor of our Forest Glen Church, and talking about what got cut from his sermon on Romans chapter 15, verses 22 to 33. And we also get to discuss a listener question about Second Temple Judaism, which I promise is far more fascinating than you might expect. And if you have a question you'd like us to discuss, we'd love it for you to go ahead and send that in. You can do so by emailing us at podcast at parkcommunitychurch.org. So let's get started. I'm Trevor Lovell, and this is The Pastor's Cut with Dan Osborne. All right. Well, Dan, good to be here with you. Glad to have you back on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me back, Trevor. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So a question just to kind of open things up with here. So you work as a pastor. If that were not the case, what do you hope you were doing? Uh, I hope I would be busy doing something. Uh, I don't know. I've, I've watched Patch Adams, you know, the movie with Robin Williams, where he's a doctor. Yeah. 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 I thought it'd be awesome to be a doctor. Um, <laughs> he's a pediatrician in that one, right? Yep. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I watched the movie for the first time when I was in seminary and thought I've made a horrible mistake. I should actually go and, uh, do medicine instead. Um, but I'd, not sure I could pass organic chemistry, so I don't know if I would have made it as a doctor. <laughs> yeah, man. So I kept going this route. Well, things seem to have worked out well. But <laughs> nice. All right, um, man. So Dan, you preached at uh, Forest Glen and for Norwood Park this past weekend, Romans chapter fifteen, twenty-two to thirty-three. Um, could you give us a quick recap of, of the sermon? Yeah, yeah. So this was a. a there's a very specific phrase that shows up here in uh, Romans 15 that I tried to pick up on where Paul is. He's in his biography. He's sharing a bit about his, his own life. Uh, and it's an odd passage to preach from because it's just the closing thoughts of his letter. Right. Like he's he's wrapped, he's tying up a few loose ends uh, and sharing some some of his future plans uh, of what he wants to do after uh, he sends the letter to the churches in Rome. Um, but he has this really interesting phrase where he says, uh, Hey, the reason I have not come to you yet is because I have been, you know, I, I have an ambition to keep after the work of ministry in, in this region, uh, where to, to preach Christ where, or to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. Uh, this is why I haven't come to you yet. And then in verse 23, he says, but now that I no longer have any work to do in these regions, uh, I've strongly desired to come to you for many years. Uh, and this, I feel like that's a, that's an incredible phrase for Paul to be able to say, like there is no longer any room for me to work in these regions, uh, that he has done everything that he needs to do, uh, done exactly what he believes God has called him to do, uh, to like the fullest extent in that area. Right. And so I have used the phrase that others have picked up on, uh, of no place left. Uh, and I, I used this uh, phrase throughout the message that, uh, you know, our desire as followers of Christ and as a church is to see no place left where Christ is not named or known uh, where we're at. And so that, that is, was, you know, the big picture, what we talked about. And then I think Paul points out three specific ways uh, that people join in the mission of what God is doing to see no place left where Christ is not named or known. Um Verse 30, he asked the, the church to pray with him. Uh, so I think praying is an, is a way in which, uh, we genuinely step into the mission and prayer. I tried to make this point, you know, prayer kind of gets a bad rap right now 
because of the, the, you know, the, the language of, I go thoughts and prayers and, you know, you want to do more than that. Uh, and, and I get that sentiment at the same time, prayer is not nothing. Like it's, it's not just a step one or, you know, the, the basics. Like prayer is a very real thing that Christians are called to do far more than we actually do. Um, you look through the scriptures, the way that Paul talks about prayer everywhere else. Like it's not just inaction. It is a very tangible thing. Maybe one of the most important things that we can do. And when he tells the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. He tells the Roman churches earlier, uh, be constant in prayer. The, the early church devotes themselves to prayer. Like he's got a lot to say about it. There is a very real work that comes along in, with praying. Uh, it's certainly not the only thing, uh, but it is a really important thing. And then, you know, uh, the other side of this is you can look at almost any modern movement of the church or any mo- historical movement of the church and tie those things back to to you know the genesis is, is believers coming together and praying that's that's part of what happened in the book of acts like one of the first things the believers do is they come together and they're they are devoting themselves to pray daily together meeting in their homes uh and the spirit is unleashed where they're at uh so it, it's a very it, it's a framework uh and the way that i framed it the message is that prayer awakens a gospel ambition within the church and within our own lives. The second piece was we joined the mission by uh, supporting. And Paul's got two concerns in the passage. He's one of the reasons he's writing is because he's he's essentially asking them for money. He he wants, he wants them to support him financially. And he's taken up a collection uh, for believers in poverty in Jerusalem. Uh, And he's talked about it in a couple of the letters and, you know, first Corinthians, he says, uh, that the Corinthian church should be setting aside money uh, each week uh, so that, you know, he can he can come back, get a collection. Uh, and then I think yeah. you get the impression in Second Corinthians that they haven't done it yet. And he's kind of upset with them for not doing it. So he goes on this whole, you know, thing of uh, generosity. Yeah. Well, that's where he points to uh, the churches in Macedonia, right, which are like much, much well less off than the Corinthians, but yeah. much more generous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He talks about the Macedonians and the church in Achaia in Romans 15 too. So I think there's this financial support piece that is uh, real. Like we we join the mission is we, we, we see our finances and resources, not things that uh, are just for us, but are used to uh, help, you know, care for others uh, and help meet the needs of other people. Like it's one of the reasons why God has given us finances is so that we can care for the people around us. Uh, and you know, I challenged our folks, you know, because we have several new people coming to the church, uh, you know, if really just, you know, new believers, that there is something very important about practicing generosity with your local church and giving to your local church. We talked about that. Um, there's a piece I left out in there. I'll, I'll, we can come back to that in a minute. And the third piece was uh, the way we join in the mission is by going. Uh, and I gave two, you know, two areas where we step into the world uh, to see no place left where Christ is not named or known. And one of them is, uh, we talk about it at Park all the time, global, like literally sending people to parts of the world where they've never heard the name of Jesus. Um, yeah. so we talked about that. And then, uh, but there's a local aspect of that too. And, you know, I shared the story of standing out on my front porch and looking down my street, looking at the houses, my neighbor's house down the street, uh, and then, you know, you know, looking to the what, uh, east side, and, you know, up the street 
and realizing that my block is filled with places that are left uh, where Christ is not named or known. And so what does it mean for me to take on the mission? Not just thinking, thinking of it as a global idea, but no place left on my block where Christ is not named or known or, or no place left, you know, in, in your workplace uh, with your coworkers or family members where Christ is not named or known. It's a very personal mission that we have. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciated how you had that kind of, um, there's like a, I don't know if a theme is the right word for it, but throughout the message, you did a good job of taking that um, no place left idea and really pushing it into the lives of, of anyone who was listening, making it really concrete. Cause sometimes w- when you get like a, a phrase like that, or even, um, you know, like the picture revelation seven people from every tongue, tribe and nation, uh, it can be overwhelming to think like, man, that's, that's super exciting until I go to take my first step. And I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, even just something as small as, uh, you know, like taking ownership for your, for the office that you work in or the, the block that you live on. And, um, you know, that, that idea of no place left right here, this is the, uh, maybe the idea of like the, the stewardship that God has given me is right here. And yeah, I, I appreciated the way that you kind of parsed that out. All right. So, so what got cut? Yeah. So a few things got cut. Um, one of them, one of the big pieces that got cut was in the, the second point I was making about how we support one another. Um, and there is a very real way that, that Paul is like, he's expecting to be refreshed in the relationship that he has with the church in Rome. Um, you know, he says it in, uh, right at the very end in verse 32, uh, you know, he says uh, that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed together with you. There, there's, you know, this desire he has. He talks about it early on uh, that he wants to come and be, you know, assisted by them uh, and be encouraged by his time with the churches in Rome. And, and I think that points to a very real sense in which we being on mission can be a very lonely place sometimes for Christians. Um and th- there is a sense in which we, we do need other people around us who are just there to encourage us, remind us that we're not alone in this, uh, who, are, you know, th- there's a re- refreshment that we get in being around other believers. Right. And that's something that we've really missed out on over the last 10 months. I know there's there's a lot of churches that aren't meeting right now. And it's it's really challenging. And part of that is because community is supposed to be refreshing. Uh, and there, there's a tangibleness to, to being, you know, across the table from someone else, having a meal with someone else that, uh, it's just, you, you don't get the same thing on Zoom. Uh, it, it still, you know, can be helpful, but, you know, we do need other people in our lives. And, and one of the things I'm, I'm, would be concerned about going forward is that, uh, we, we just get used to not being together with other believers. Like we get used to not having uh, other people actually in our lives. Uh, And yet Paul is saying one of the ways that we support and join the mission of seeing no place left where Christ is not named or known is by being around one another, being, being invested in one another's lives uh, and refreshing one another. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Looking at relationships is like a, um, like they're a gift in that sense that they, they do refresh us and they can kind of rejuvenate you and, and bring a little bit of life back. I know that's something that, um, 
I think it's easy to feel being someone who lives in the city, but not necessarily like didn't grow up here and uh, being in a community where that's kind of the story for a lot of other people as well. And there's a sense in which when people leave, uh, you, you even talked about this a little bit in your sermon referencing what the season this past summer was like for your church, but just that it, there's like a difficulty. There's like, it's almost like a rootedness that you have as a community. And when one person leaves or a family leaves it, a little bit of that rootedness is um, like weakened, um, it, which points to the the strengthening that comes from people being together in that refreshing idea. Man, there's something you said that I want to ask a little bit about in the sermon. Um, you talked to, at one point, you mentioned this idea that Paul, um, you know, he wanted to go to Rome. He'd wanted to go to Rome for a long time, but there's this, I think the way you put it is God's vision for Paul's life or God's mission trumped Paul's own vision for his life. He wanted to go there, but God's calling on him was basically overrided that. And I'm curious, um, has there been like times in your own walk as a follower of Jesus where you've kind of, you felt that play itself out in your own life? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, one of the big ways, uh, we've seen, well, let me back up a second. So, so the idea I was trying to get across is that, um, all of us or many of us try and come up with like a five-year plan or like a vision for the future of what we want to be doing. And it's not a, it's not a bad thing to do necessarily. Um, the, the, important piece to remember is that God is not held hostage to what we want our lives to be. And one of the reasons people, people can get so frustrated, um, or just even, even discouraged in a season, um, is because deep down we believe God owes us a vision of our vision of the good life. And he doesn't, right? He, he is not like, we do not dictate to God, what our future is going to be. Uh, and, you know, we, we have, you know, I think a lot of people rightly ask the question sometimes uh, in, in a lot of different languages. You know, what, what does God, God want me to do next? What's God's will for my life? Uh, and and we, we want that in terms of specifics. Like we, we desperately want to know the, the next seven steps to take. Uh, and God almost never gives that to anybody, Right. But on a macro level, anybody listening to this, God's will for your life is that you go and <laughs> preach the gospel until there's no place left where Christ is not named or known. That might look different for you. That might mean specifically in your workplace. Um, but a piece of this means that even when you're factoring in a desire to move to a new city, take a new job, to, to do something else, or whatever that might be, like this, this is not just you making a decision by yourself in a silo. God does have a very real call on your life. And I think we need to factor that in uh, to our decisions. Like, w- will this move help me live in such a way that there, there is no place left where Christ is not named or known? And sometimes the answer is no, it won't. It will, let, it will give you more money. It will give you a bigger house, but you will not be able to live on mission better going there. Right. And, 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 and so I think we, we need to take this seriously that, that Paul does have very specific desires that he wants to go uh, and do. And yet he sees those as, you know, secondary uh, to what God has called uh, placed on his life. Yeah. And uh, a point that I tried to make through the whole message is the same thing that Paul is called to is true for every Christian, every Christian without exception. 
a gospel ambition uh, to see, see the gospel proclaimed until there's no place left. Right? Yeah. That, that is the mission for every Christian. Um, so we all have this higher calling, right? Um, where I've seen it play out in my own life is, uh, you know, I've shared this with you, Trev, a couple of times. Uh, there were, there was about a four year period where Courtney and I, my wife and I thought we were going to be missionaries in Russia. We were going to go help church, start churches in, in Russia. And we got pretty far down that road. Like I was studied Russian for two and a half years. Um, I could have a confident conversation with a five-year-old Russian who might be a little confused at some of the things that I said, but I can get my point across and I can understand what they were trying to say to me. Um, that's Russians are really hard language to learn. We were taking lessons. We were taking classes. Uh, we, we were living in a building that predominantly, like most of the residents only spoke Russian. Um, we, we went to go live in Russia and do a vision trip for three months, over three months, uh, to like learn the culture, meet with the team that we would be, uh, be a part of. We had the sending organization, we had the paperwork, we're, we're ready to go. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, I won't get into it here, but it felt like God was starting to pull the plug. Like some of the, some of the details started to, uh, drift away and it, that, that door closed on us, right? This is how that happened is in, you know, another conversation for another time. Uh, but Courtney and I were left wrestling with like, we really want to be there. And yet the Lord is like, we, we can't get there. It seems so clear. Like this, that was our desire was to be serving in Russia. If you asked anybody who knew us at that time, that's what we were going to be doing. Um, and yet at the same time, we also started to recognize that we had been living for something that was at least a year and a half out in the future and completely neglecting anything that God had been calling us to do here in Chicago while we were uh, preparing to go. We weren't involved with, with park. We weren't doing, we weren't living on mission here uh, in the city. And as we started to step into where God had called us to, we saw that desire start to change, you know, from, you know, being over there, uh, to being rooted and feeling a strong conviction that, that we were called to the city of Chicago. But, but it was a very painful process. Uh, really, it, it's hard to capture it in just a couple couple minutes. Um, the, there, it was about a year and a half long process of really wrestling, a lot of tears, uh, frustrations between Courtney and I, because for a long time we were not on the same page with it. But it had to come to a place where we, we felt like, okay, we believe God is calling us to be here right now. Uh, there, there's fruit in the ministry we have here. Uh, and so we're going to, we're going to move on from what we really want to be doing to where we think God has placed us right now. Hmm. Yeah, man, that's good. That's good. Um, yeah. And so the process of coming to understand what you're supposed to do, uh, isn't like, it's not a painless one that, that there's, yeah. No, it's it is very it, it's very challenging. It's very challenging. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Thanks for sharing. I appreciate that. Um, so there's there's one thing I want to ask about that we kind of talked about a little bit earlier, um, and it's this this idea of the the work of prayer, and you know Acts chapter one. We're about to move into that book, um, but there's this you know this idea that these. Um, 
basically groups of believers coming together, engaging in this work of prayer. And then you see a movement of God coming out of that. And you can even see like the work of prayer itself, that that even is developing. That is, that's God moving um, in and of itself. The, the question I have is, is I feel like prayer is sometimes like a, a broad word that we use. It's a broad category. And a lot of times we use it to speak um, sort of like about intercessory prayer, right? Where we're kind of stepping in, lifting up these requests. We're praying uh, as we join in the mission of God. But there are there kind of these other components of prayer, um, you know, like just, for example, just kind of spending time with God. And I'm curious if you had to kind of break that down a little bit, what, what are some of the things that you would say and give someone maybe like a broader understanding? Like, what is prayer? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. Um, Jesus says something really interesting in, in Matthew. Uh, let me, let me flip over there real quick. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is talking about prayer, uh, he, he kind of lays out, um, two ways not to do it. Right. And he talks about, uh, people who go out, they're hypocrites, they're praying, they're doing this religious thing in order to be seen by others. Um, and then he, he talks about the people who just like use a lot of words because they think the amount of words uh, they use corresponds to how much God is going to answer them or how much God is going to pay attention to their prayer. Uh, but he's got this really interesting line in Matthew chapter six, verse eight. He says, don't be like them for your father knows the things you need before you ask him. And that line has always stuck out to me because it begs the question, like if God knows what we need before we ask him, why do we ask him for anything at all? You know, like, what's the point here elsewhere in the, the gospel of Matthew, like he, he's our father who, know, who knows how to give, give good gifts to his children. Like what, what are we asking him for things for? He, he knows, he knows my needs better than I know. Right. So what's the point? I think, I think ultimately at, at its base level, what prayer is doing is not uh, informing God of anything. It's actually doing more to us. Uh, rather than about what what we are trying to communicate to God, right? We are like in prayer, like you are being formed. Uh, something is happening to you when when you pray. That's why I said uh, in the message I tried to draw at this point that it is awakening something within you. Uh, it's reminding you of who your God is uh, and how He engages in in your life and in the world. That's why the Sermon on the Mount is 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 very communal. Right. It's not it's not just about me uh, and God. It, it's it's about how God engages with the, who God is and how he engages with with the community, his relationship to the world. Right. Uh, he goes on in uh, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, your name be holy, your kingdom come, your will be done. Uh, right. So there's there's this aspect in which it, it, it we focus our attention and our affection on God himself. And there's something very powerful that happens that in prayer. That's why we a lot of times people will start with what's called adoration in prayer, just like speaking truths back to God, uh, reminding ourselves that uh, of who God is. Right? We're not telling Him, God, you're holy, and He's thinking, "Yes, I. That's right. I didn't know that." We're 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 coming to grips with the fact that I am able to approach a perfectly holy, righteous God right now. And I, I have access to do that by faith in Christ. And th there's an awe that, that's created in prayer. And it reminds us of our absolute dependence on him. Yeah. Yeah. 
Man, when you, uh, when you talk about that idea of awakening, like it, there's something that it, prayer brings about an awakening within us as we're drawing near to God, reminding ourselves of who he is, fixing our attention and our affection on him. It's this, uh, it, it makes me think of this idea that, uh, you know, that like God has a sense of how we're going to join in the mission of God, how he wants to use us and work through us. And that there may be pieces of us that are actually like, like latent that, that still have to be yet awakened and kind of called forth in that work of prayer. Maybe one of the significant ways that God uses to bring those things out and to draw us into what he's doing in the world. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, man, good stuff. Good stuff. Thanks for Thanks for taking that dive there. All right, uh, we've got we've got our listener question here at the end, and uh, this one it must have come from a, a seminarian or something. It's a, it's a good one, but um, okay, here it is. What is Second Temple Judaism, and why does it matter? I don't know, and it probably doesn't. <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, what is Second Temple Judaism? Why does it matter? So. Uh, you know, you look at the history. You see, you see some of this stuff play out in the Old Testament. Um, the people of Israel, they, they, you know, under Solomon, they build the temple uh, in in Jerusalem, uh, and this is the like the center of all religious activity in in Israel. Uh, and what happens is uh, the prophets in the Old Testament are warning God's people: Look, if you do not repent, turn back to God, there's there's going to be destruction. Ezekiel even has visions of the temple collapsing, right? And it's, it's the, this image of like, if the temple is a place where God resides, what happens if that temple falls? Like if it's defeated, it, it's imagery of God's presence leaving, being removed, uh, from, from his people. Uh, the prophets are warning about this. And then it actually happens, uh, in the Assyrian and Babylonian captivities of God's people. Uh, one of the things that they do is they destroy uh, the, uh, David's temple, Solomon's temple, uh, keep going through the history. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah is writing to the people of Israel in exile, letting them know, uh, why all of these things happened. Uh, it's kind of a, you know, pointing out their failure to, to be obedient to what God had called them to do. It's Jeremiah is basically a rehashing of the book of Deuteronomy just retelling them all of the things that was in uh, Deuteronomy. Uh, and it's an encouragement to those people that, that they're going to be in exile for a while, but the Lord's going to bring them back into, uh, into the, to, to have an, a new temple to be rebuilt. Uh, and this is what happens with uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, they, they end up rebuilding uh, the, the, the temple. This is called the second temple. Now, Second Temple Judaism it runs the time between the building of the Second Temple around Ezra and Nehemiah, what times when they come back from exile, to the destruction in uh, in around 70 AD uh, by the Romans. Because the Romans come in later, they destroy the temple. What this is doing, uh, this time period, is roughly corresponding to uh, Judaism around the time of Jesus. And so when you study Second Temple Judaism, you're, you're trying to get at the idea of what questions uh, did Jewish people have at that particular time? What what were their thoughts about God? What what did they anticipate about a coming Messiah? What, what did they believe that the end was, was going to be like? What was their eschatology? And so it's trying to get into their head because 
Jesus is responding to people living in that particular time, uh, responding into that particular time and place. So the study of Second Temple Judaism comes uh, really starts to uh, come to a uh, an important point in about um, 1950. People really start to get interested in this topic. Uh, and I'm going to botch his name. I think it, it's a scholar uh, out of Harvard by the name of Christer Strendel. Uh, and he writes an article called The Apostle Paul and the Introspective Conscience of the West. And, and it sounds really deep. Essentially what he's doing is saying, look, uh, what's happened in uh, modern Christianity is we have interpreted the Apostle Paul uh, through the lens of Martin Luther. Right. And what that means is all of the questions about justification, what we believe about uh, justification, we're actually running it through, uh, thinking about it in the way that Luther was thinking about it as he's responding to the Pope. And yet the questions that Luther had about, you know, my personal individual relationship with God, how does that work? That's probably not what uh, Jewish people were thinking in Second Temple. And if that, there's a much more collective understanding of uh, righteousness, what does it mean for us collectively to be right with God? Less of an individualistic idea. If that's true, uh, then, you know, what does that say about how Paul is speaking to justification at, at, as a corporate sense, not just a personal sense? If nobody's asking the question, how can I personally be right with God? If nobody's asking that question, then Paul is certainly not talking about that when he talks about justification in Romans chapter 5. There's a different set of questions that he has. And so the study of Second Temple Judaism is trying to get into the head and hearts of people in that time period to understand how Paul is interacting with them in the letters that he's writing back to them. It's, it's, it's kind of jumping in the deep end of the pool. There's a lot of implications and you will go down a million different rabbit trails uh, but looking at some of these things, I think you find, uh, you know, for me personally, it's like the New Testament starts to come alive in a very uh, different way. You, you know, it, what's interesting is a lot of times it's like you remember seeing that you remember seeing that uh, picture a couple of years ago of, you know, someone saying, hey, what color is this dress? Is it black or blue or is it gold yeah, and white? Yeah. Right. When, when you start getting into Second Temple Judaism thing, you're going to start saying things as uh, not black and blue, but they're gold and white. And you're like, whoa, how, how did that happen? How did, you know, you will, you will, uh, go from conversations about, you know, we, we are saved not by works. We, we are saved by grace, you know, by faith alone in Christ. And then you get to the book of Revelation and, and Jesus talking to, uh, the seven churches. He holds them accountable for their work. He is judging them by their works. How does that work out? How can he do that? Well, works is a far more complicated idea uh, than we think. You're going to start to see this dress as gold and white. Uh, and it's just, it, it's just, it, it's a refreshing piece in, in theology. So, yeah. Yeah. You can, can't tell. I, I kind of nerd out on some of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Deep waters. Well, man, I have to say, if you can break it down that quickly off the cuff like that, I think you could have, I think you could have worked your way through organic chemistry just fine. I highly doubt that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this has been great, though. I really appreciated the conversation. Thanks so much for uh, for being here for it. Yep. Thanks, Trev. See you mm -hmm. next time. All right. 
All right. Thanks for joining us this week. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And uh, if you have any questions, we'd love to hear what you're wanting us to discuss. Go ahead and send those in by emailing us at podcast at parkcommunitychurch.org. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week.